But this morning, we're looking at Revelation chapter 9, turning your Bibles there, and we're going to look verse by verse through this, this incredible chapter on when hell comes to earth. What we're going to see this morning, as we, as we look at this, what we're going to see is that God allows Satan himself to open up the abyss of hell and bring demonic forces to earth. And that's basically what's going to happen in the chapter this morning. It's, it's when, when all hell breaks loose on earth, we're going to see this morning. Now, what you need to understand is we're in the midst of the Great Tribulation in Revelation chapter 9. We remember, this is our timeline right here. We see that the things which are are the church age, the seven churches. We saw that in chapters 2 and 3. And then after the church age, what happens? Be me of Jesus. Rapture, right? And we're raptured out of here. We're going to be caught up in the clouds, as 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18 says. And we're going to see Christ. And we're going to see him as he is. And we too will be like him. And so Christians out of here raptured after the church age. And I think that's very soon. I think we're maybe, maybe a very good chance in our generation we will be raptured. But then after the rapture, what happens is this great, incredibly strong, dynamic, diplomatic, um, smart leader comes on the scene. And his name is the Antichrist. Scripture calls him the lawless one. He's the one that's going to have world dominion. And what he's going to do is he's going to come. First of all, we saw uh, he's going to have four seasons. The first season, he comes on a white horse. And the white horse represents peace. And he's going to come to bring peace to the whole world. He's actually going to uh, enact a peace treaty between Israel and the Muslim nations. Like, no, it's never happened in history before, but he brings peace to the point that he gets the temple of the Jews rebuilt on the Temple Mount right next to the Muslim Dome of the Rock. Brings peace first. But then the red horse comes the next season. The next season after the peace is war. And he's going to be given, we saw back in Revelation earlier, we saw he's given a great sword. And the sword, many, many scholars believe, is actually nuclear weaponry, and he's going to wipe out any nation, any people that doesn't follow his leadership. And that's the red horse. And then after the red horse comes the black horse. The black horse is his season of famine. And what's going to happen is he's going to cause worldwide famine because of probably the fallout of nuclear warfare and everything else, and also because of what we saw like last week in the uh, first four trumpets, uh, natural disaster is going to happen. We saw last week that as, as the four trumpets are being blown, there's, there's st- asteroids falling out of the sky, and a third of the earth is burned up. And a third of the ships in the sea is, is destroyed and turned to blood. We saw that the water reservoirs are contaminated. They become wormwood, right? We saw all this natural disaster. Even a third of the sun and the moon and the stars are darkened during this period of time. There's all kinds of cosmic disturbances and catastrophic events happening on earth. And it's going to cause a famine. And then the last stage is the stage of ash and horse. And that's death. And we saw as this Antichrist takes over, a quarter of the world's population eradicated through war, through famine, through natural disasters. And think about that. There's almost 8 billion people in the world today. That's 2 billion people wiped out in one swoop within seven years. And that's what's happening during this period. So it starts with the seven seals, and then it moves to the seven trumpets. We're in the middle of the seven trumpets of judgment, and then it ends with the seven bowls of wrath. So this morning, we're right in the middle of the seven trumpets. We've seen the natural disasters of the seven trumpets, the first four trumpets last week. This week, we're going to see a whole other angle of what's going to happen with demonic warfare 
during the great tribulation. So turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. Joe, just give me one notch more, a little bit on sound if you can. I want to wake you all up this morning. And we're going to see hell on earth this morning. And then it says in verse 1, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven, which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. Now that's interesting, because it says a star from heaven falls. Now going back to Revelation chapter 1, what are stars? Revelations 1.20 tells us, As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are, notice, the angels of the seven, throw it up on the screen, Carlton. Come on, wake up back there in the sound booth. Let's go. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches, right? So what are stars? It's angels. Angels. And so this, interesting, is an angel, but notice, it's a fallen angel. And who's that? That's Satan himself. Because we're told in Revelation 12, 9, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who's called the devil, and Satan, there he is, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and the angels were thrown down with him. That's what happened to Satan. It's because he led a civil war, a coup in heaven, and we, we know because of his rebellion against God in heaven itself, God threw him out of heaven, and he threw him out of heaven to earth and to hell. And we know that a third of the angels went with him because it says in Revelation 12, 4, and his tail, Satan's tail, swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that she gave birth where he might devour her child. Do you see that? A third of the angels in heaven were, were, were flung out of heaven because they followed Satan rather than God. Now that's interesting to me because we know earlier we saw in heaven there's myriads, 10,000, multiplied by myriads of angels just around the throne of God. What's that? A hundred million angels. So if you do the math, there's millions and millions and millions and millions of fallen angels with Satan, and they do Satan's dirty work. And when you're being tempted as a Christian, when you're being enticed as a Christian, when you're being oppressed as a Christian, you can't be. You can't be possessed as a Christian because the Holy Spirit lives in you. But when you're facing these dark forces, it's not Satan. It's the millions and millions and millions of demons that are enlisted to be his army to oppress and entice and tempt us as Christians. Those are those dark forces. They're the fallen angels. And it says that these fallen angels um, are the star from heaven which had fallen to earth. And notice what also it says about these fallen angels. It says, and, and Satan himself, he's fallen to earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to Satan. Now, bottomless pit, another version says the abuso. It's the place that God made when Satan fell from heaven with the millions of other fallen angels, and he sent them to the abuso, to, to hell. And now, interesting, what's been given to Satan is a key. Remember earlier Revelation, the key to death in Hades was held by Jesus. And Jesus now gives Satan the key, the key to hell itself. And he's going to open up hell and all these demons are going to infiltrate the whole world at the time. Now, the interesting principle here, even Satan and his demons are under the authority of Jesus Christ. Did you know that, church? 
need to understand that, that even, even all the demonic forces that we struggle with and we battle with, we need to know that God has his authority even over them. And the Bible says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with that temptation, he'll provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know what that tells us? God is even with us in our temptations, and he won't allow any temptation to be too much for us to handle or too much for us to say no to. And we need to understand, as we study this chapter in hell this morning, coming to earth, we need to understand, greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. We need to understand that, that we need to understand that, that, the, that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. We need to understand there's nothing or nobody that can separate us from the love of Christ that's in Christ Jesus. What we also need to understand, these, these forces of hell are very real. And we're told in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against what? The rulers, the powers, the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And, and the wonderful news is that we're given the power of the Holy Spirit and the weapons of the Spirit to fight this battle. What kind of weapons? Hey, right here, the Word of God. The Word of God is the power to be a sword of the Spirit, and as we memorize and read and study and hear God's Word being taught, this truth of the Word of God could help us in all the battles we face with these dark forces. And what else? The breastplate of righteousness. Do you know if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're given Christ's righteousness? God made him who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf that you might become the righteousness of God in him. And you're given this power of the Holy Spirit to live a righteous life and guard your heart with the breastplate of righteousness. Also, listen, you're also given the helmet of salvation. Ephesians 6 tells us that we can be assured of our salvation and we could know, we know that we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and that helps us in the battles when the accuser of the brethren comes in and starts laying guilt and condemnation on us, we could go back to the fact that Christ in us is, is forgiveness and grace and mercy and we're saved by the blood of the Lamb and he said, it is finished, paid in full and we can trust in that in the midst of the battles we face. We're also given the power of prayer. In our struggle against, not against flesh and blood, but when we pray, heaven listens. We saw that uh, the last couple of weeks with the bowls of incense rising to heaven. Heaven smells our prayers and heaven responds to our prayers. And there's power, there's power to win when we pray. The prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. They availeth much. There's all these weapons that we have. We have the, the weapon of just truth, the belt of truth. All these weapons, and listen to Ephesians 6, are for us to use in these battles that we've faced against Satan and his foes. We need to remember again that God, God's with us. He's not only with us, he's for us. He's given us these weapons so we can win. And thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Interesting. We see here, though, that hell is being opened up to earth, and it's about to get really ugly because that's what hell does. It's ugly. And listen, I have heard people out there in the world say some stupid things, but one of the stupidest things I've heard the world say is, hey, I've heard people even say this, I want to go to hell because that's where all my friends are. 
I want to go to hell because that's where I could party with all my friends. Listen, we're going to see in this chapter, hell is not about partying. Hell is about destruction and death and all kinds of torment and all kinds of pain. That is stupid to say you want to go to hell. It's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. You don't ever want to go to hell because, listen, hell, hell is a place of pain and torment. And Jesus said it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place where the worm doesn't die and the fire never ends. And listen, it's not imaginary. It's not made up. It's real. It's real. And we got to be honest about this when people ask us about what we believe I think one of the spirits of the Antichrist in the world right now is this universalism where love wins, everybody's going to heaven, we're all fine, you're okay, I'm okay, but well, it's all going to pan out in the end. No, it's not. If you don't have Jesus, this is the destiny of those that don't have Jesus. And we're going to see it this morning. So let's go on. Oh, by the way, one, t- one commentator put it this way, as Satan gets the key to the bottomless pit and opens up hell to earth, J.B. Phillips talked about a, 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 con, a, a illustration that might illustrate that is if someone was given the key of all the maximum security prisons throughout the whole world, and they were able to open up all the mas- maximum security prisons of the whole world and let all those prisoners, all those criminals that were rapists and murderers and psychotic and serial killers, and let them just all go and have their way in the world. And that's what it's going to be like in this chapter times a million. Reminds me of, a, one of one of the mission trips I took with one of our pastors, Mike McIntosh of San Diego, invited me and some other pastors to come and be on his mission team to a place called Aguas Caliente, Mexico. The, literally, the word of the city was, the, the word meant hot water. That's the name of the city we went to, and it was hot water. All kinds of demonic activity there. And then Mike takes us, just the pastors, to a maximum security prison in the middle of Aguas Caliente to do prison ministry. And we get there, we're about six pastors with them, and we get there, and we're in the middle of this courtyard. They didn't even have cement floors in the prisons. They just had dirt floors and big bars and everything else. And I thought we were just going to minister through the bars. And we were there, and all of a sudden a bell rang, and all the prisoners were let out in the common area, and we were in the middle of the common area, and then Mike wasn't there. And I go, what in the world? And these guys are killers and murderers and everything else, and we're a bunch of gringos standing in the middle of the courtyard. And, and I did the best I could, and I grabbed our, our translator that we had, and I said, let's start preaching the gospel. And we, I started preaching the gospel to all these murderers and rapists and everything else, and I was praying they weren't going to kill me or stone me to death. And I found out later what Mike actually did, the leader of our mission trip, is he went to the psych, psych ward of the prison, and he was ministering there while we were with all the other crazies in the middle of the courtyard. But that's kind of what's going on here. The crazies of hell are being let out into the world, and all hell's going to break loose. So let's look at it now. Verse 2, and he opened up the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came forth locusts upon the earth, and the power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, 
but to torment for five months, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. Now, uh, are these real locusts? I don't think so. Because real locusts, what they do is they, they, they eat things. They eat green things. They destroy trees. They detro- destroy the earth. They, were, they didn't have the power. to. They, they weren't doing that. What they were doing was they were going after men. Now, the imagery here is of this army of locusts. And what, in, in Israel at the time, locusts were uh, feared and greatly hated because it was an agrarian culture. In other words, a farming culture. And when the locusts would come, they'd come in two-mile waves of, of two-mile two mile depths sometimes on both sides. And they'd come 200 feet deep, and they would just come as a cloud of blackness into their farming communities and destroy all the crops, all the trees, and all the green things. And so John here is given a vision into the future, and he describes it like locusts because he doesn't know what they are. I know what they are. They're demons. And they're demons that are coming forth like a swarm of locusts and a black cloud infiltrating the earth, and they're given the power to sting like a scorpion. That's interesting because scorpions have the most... um, painful sting of all the poisonous snakes or anything else or any, any kind of animals. They, I, I was reading a little bit on scorpions and the way they sting. When they sting a human being, they have neurotoxins that go into the human being's nervous system and causes all kinds of, not only pain, but causes all kinds of damage to the nervous system to the point that you get seizures, you, you foam at the mouth, and all kinds, of, all kinds of pain and destruction to the body from, from, from scorpions. And so these demons have the power to do this. All kinds of pain, all kinds of torment, all kinds of probably even physical things like seizures and everything. It's going to be rampant as these, as these locusts, these demons are set forth. But notice verse 4. It says, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads will not be affected by these locusts. Interesting. Who was that? Remember Mike taught on that a couple weeks ago. That was the, the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that were sealed by God to go to the ends of the earth, I believe, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as they go forth serving God, they're sealed, they're protected. You know why that's interesting? Because we're sealed too. And if you're saved, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 describes that when it says this. Throw it up on the screen, Carlton. It says... In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, notice, you were sealed in him with what? The Holy Spirit of promise, who's given us a pledge of our inheritance with a view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The moment you heard the message of the gospel and you believed and you trusted Christ and you received Christ, you're given the seal of the Holy Spirit. Now a seal, sign of ownership, but also a sign of protection. In that culture, when they would ship something, a wealthy person would ship something, they'd put a piece of wax on the box that's being shipped and they'd put their family seal on that and said, this box, is belong- it's belonged to this rich, wealthy king or whatever else. Don't touch it. Because it belongs to this person. And if you're saved this morning, you have the seal of the Holy Spirit. And that seal says you're owned by God. You're God's own possession. You've been bought with a price. 
The price was the blood of Jesus Christ. And you're protected by the one who sealed you. And even we're told in Psalm 91, there's even angels given charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Isn't that awesome? To know that our Father in heaven has given us this power of the Holy Spirit to protect us from the very demonic forces of hell. And again, greater is he that is in us, the Holy Spirit, than he that's in the world. And we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. Amen? Amen. Let's go on with our story now. After these locusts are let out, which I believe again are demons, it says this, and in those days men will seek death and will not find it, and they'll long to die, and death flees from them. That's saying death goes on vacation during this five-month season of these demons being let out of the abuso, the, the, the pit of hell. And the appearance of the locusts were like horses, prepared, prepared for battle, and on their heads, as it were, were crowns like gold, and their faces were like faces of men, and they had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions, then they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle, and they have tails like scorpions, and they sting, and in their tails is the power to hurt men for five months. And notice, they have as their king over them, who? The angel, fallen angel of the abyss, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means destroyer, and in the Greek, his name is called Apollyon, it's one who brings destruction. Again, I want you to see that. What's Satan's goal? Is it to make your life fun? No, Satan's goal is to kill, steal, and what? Destroy. Satan's goal is he's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for Christians to devour, to have you for lunch. Listen, we have a real enemy. And our, again, our, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities. It's against the one who wants to d- destroy us. And listen, Christian, we need to be aware of this. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11, he says, we are not unaware of Satan's schemes. A part of winning a war is good intelligence. A part of winning any battle, even a sport, a part of winning in a sport is intelligence. Intelligence what? The one you're playing against. Why do football players spend so much time looking at film every week of opponents? Because they want to know who their opponent is. And we need to know who our opponent is. Our opponent, Satan, is a destroyer. He won, he's one that ultimately wants to bring destruction to our life. Don't be unaware of Satan's schemes. Be wise. Jesus said, be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. We need to wise up. When I was a young Christian, I read two books that were foundational to me in this area of not being unaware of Satan's schemes. The first one was uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And Mere Christianity was a great book for me to read because it laid a foundation apologetically for what I believe when I face battles against the evil one. This is what I believe. And it, the, the whole book was written by C.S. Lewis, who was an amazing author because he was a professor at Oxford in England who didn't become a Christian until he got in his 30s. He was an atheist, and then he was led to Christ. And he wrote a whole apologetic in Mere Christianity for why Christianity is true. It's not fable, it's not fairy tale, it's truth. And it's a great book that when we have battles, especially in our minds, when Satan's trying to get us to doubt and disbelieve, Mere Christianity is a great book, a foundational book for me, at least it was, for what I believe. But then there was another book that I read. It was a fascinating book 
It's called Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And it's an interesting book because it's actually C.S. Lewis, it's a fiction book, it's, it's a senior devil writing to a junior devil and how to bring destruction to human beings. And it's like, it's, it's an amazing book because all throughout the book, you see the strategy and you see the way that Satan tempts us, the way that he uses demons to entice us and to oppress us, and it wises you up to the spiritual warfare that we face. Actually, our staff reads a book every six to eight weeks. Our next book we're going to read as a staff is C.S. Lewis's book, Screwtape Letters, because it's all about the spiritual warfare that we're talking about. But listen, church, if we're going to win in the battles that we face, we've got to wise up. We gotta wise up to Satan's schemes. We gotta see from the word of God that this Satan is real, he's a destroyer, he wants to have us for lunch. And we gotta have the spiritual weaponry to fight in these battles that we fight. But this whole scene we've just seen is this army now of demons that are infiltrating the earth. And it's, again, picture is locusts because there's probably a swarm of them swarming throughout the world. And it describes it, and I, I, I feel for John here because he's first century and he's brought probably into the 21st century and he's trying to describe these things that, are, that he's never seen before and he's trying to describe them in detail and they're, they're the battle in the, the army of Satan and he's saying they have like breastplates of iron and their wings are the sound of chariots and they're like horses rushing the battle and it's like a, a bad horror movie and he's trying to describe it, the darkness of these forces coming to earth. You know, when I was a 12-year-old kid, um, I made the mistake of watching a, uh, the night before Halloween. My parents are gone. I'm 12 years old. And I turn on, you know how they have horror movies right before Halloween? And I'm on the second floor of our Victorian three-story house. And I'm watching this. It's called The Night of the Living Dead. And I'm watching this thing. And it gets worse and worse than watching it. I'm 12 years old. And these, these like, these nasty dead people are coming out of the earth and eating people. And all of a sudden, I'm watching this at 12 years old, and no one else in the house but me in this dark, big house. And then the squirrels up in the attic started running around. I'm going, they're coming for me! And I was studying this this week, and I was transported back to when I was 12 years old and thinking about the night of the living dead. And that's what's happening here during the Great Tribulation. It's like, like the night of the living dead. These demonic forces are unleashed from the abuso, and they're destroying all mankind. And then it says in verse 12, the first woe was passed. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. And one is saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour... And a day and a month and a year were released so that they might kill, notice, a third of mankind. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million, and I heard the number of them. And in this I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on the riders, the breastplates, the color of fire, the hasianth and the brimstone, and the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. And a third of mankind, notice, a third, of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, and their tails are like serpents, and they have heads with them, and they do harm. Now, this is another part of the trumpets. These are the next two trumpets. And it's, I believe, 
and many scholars believe this too, it's the Antichrist coming upon the world with his 200 million troops. And these four angels allow the Antichrist to rise up now from the area of the Euphrates, which is interesting because the Euphrates runs right through present-day Iraq and right through the city of Baghdad. So do you see possibly, we're going to see this when we get to Revelation 17 and 18, where are the headquarters of the Antichrist going to be? It's going to be a resurrected Babylon, which, listen, Babylon was right in the heart of Iraq, present-day Iraq. And it's interesting, this Antichrist is going to have 200 million troops. Let's put that in perspective. We have about a million people in active service in the Army of the United States today. A million. Times that by 200, that's going to be the forces of the Antichrist to bring destruction to this world. Listen, I'll I'll give you another perspective. The time when we had the most soldiers ever active was during World War II. That was 12 million troops. And, that's, and think about that. 200 million are going to be under the power and the authority of this Antichrist to bring destruction to this world. It's going to be a crazy time. 200 million troops. Well, how can you have that many? Interesting, too. When John was writing this, there was only 200 million people in the whole world's population. And now he's saying 200 million people are going to be under the dominion and the authority and the leadership of the Antichrist. How can that be possible? Well, listen. China today has 1.3 billion people. If China wanted to, just China wanted to put together an army of 200 million men, they potentially could do that today. That's how much the world's population has grown. But now look at the response of the world to this mass destruction upon earth and upon the God's judgment and hell itself being brought to earth. Look at the response of the world in this. In verse 20, it says this, and the rest of mankind who were not killed... By these plagues, notice another swoop, a third of the world's population killed through these trumpets. They did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver, of brass and the stone of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And notice again, verse 21, and they did not what? They did not what? They did not repent of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their immorality, nor their thefts. I want you to see a couple things there. First of all, what's the spirit of the Antichrist? It's in the world right here. The spirit of the Antichrist is idolatry. Idolatry is is loving everything but God and Jesus Christ. It's having a heart that's passionate about everything but Jesus. It's idolatry. And it's idolatry to the point that they're worshiping idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Also, the spirit of the Antichrist that's in the world during this time is murders. It goes, goes on. It says that they didn't repent of their murders. Do you know we're already seeing that spirit in our world today? My city that I grew up in, Chicago, breaks my heart, but a murder happens every day of the week all year long in the city I grew up in, Chicago. When I was a little kid, I remember driving my bike, and I'd drive through ghettos and neighborhoods, and I'd go for miles on my bike, and if I did that today... I would not be here right now because of the murders that are happening in my city because of the gangs and the drugs and everything else. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. It's already in the world today. And they didn't repent also of their sorceries. Interesting, so the word sorcery there is pharmacon. Guess what word we get from that? Pharmaceuticals, drug abuse. All the way back uh, to the ancient days, 
Uh, worshiping Satan and sorcery was associated with potions that were drugs, and you'd hallucinate and you'd do everything else, and that drug abuse went hand in hand with sorcery and witchcraft. Still today, listen, when you're getting involved in drugs or alcoholism or anything like that, you are getting involved with spirits, demonic spirits that want to grip and control of your life. It's the spirit of the Antichrist already in the world. We are seeing incredible amounts of problems in our culture today, not just with our older or middle-aged people, but our young people are doing drugs like never before. We're seeing whole states out west that are legalizing marijuana where they could have dispensaries on corners all throughout their cities because it's legal now. I was reading this week that there's actually one or two states that that are having legislation right now, the legalization of even the harder drugs. They're gonna legalize them because that's the spirit of the Antichrist. And then they also didn't repent uh, not only the sorcerers, but immorality. Immorality is pornea in the Greek. It's any kind of sexual activity outside of a marriage relationship. It's fornication, it's adultery, it's homosexuality, it's uh, pornography, all that stuff. It's infiltrating our world like never before. Satan is amping up his tools in this area. And listen, a lot of that is the fact that he's got the internet now and could be done in privacy rather than having to go somewhere to get it. And it's all throughout our culture today. Pornea. We shouldn't be involved in that. The Bible says flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, love, faith, and peace with those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart, right? And then it also says the spirit of the Antichrist that's in the world that they didn't repent of was thefts. Stealing. And we're seeing more and more of that in our culture today, too, in regards to even employees are stealing from their employers, from their bosses. And we're seeing all kinds of, I mean, look at what happened in this last year when protests were happening, when whole stores were being looted and stolen from in the midst of the protesting. That's the spirit of the Antichrist, thieving. I was talking to our missionary down in Costa Rica uh, Daniel Barrett, and he said, he said that in his house where he lives, right in the middle of Haco Beach, Costa Rica, he said they actually have a wall that has a protective wall around their house, and it actually has like barbed wire. It's not barbed wire. It's actually pieces of glass that protect his house from people. You have to go over a wall, over the, over the glass to get into his courtyard so that his stuff can be protected because so much gets, stuff gets stolen down there. And he said that he's had multiple times where his bike that he transports himself on a lot around the town, his bike, someone crawled over the wall, over the broken glass, and took his bike and then put it back over the wall and left with it. And he said one day, the funny thing was, he said one day I'm driving in my car in downtown Hako Beach, and this dude is driving around on my bicycle that he took over the top of my wall. I had to chase him down in my car to get my bike back. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. And listen, church, we're to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, a people that have been called out from this stuff, a people that have turned from the darkness of this world into his marvelous light, and we shouldn't have anything to do with this kind of stuff. We shouldn't have anything to do with idolatry. We should worship Jesus and Jesus alone. We shouldn't have anything to do with murders. And well, listen, murder is not just murder. Murder is anger and bitterness towards people too. Jesus said murder starts in the heart. We shouldn't have anything to do with, with thieving either. We should be people of honesty. We don't steal. We work hard and we share instead of steal. 
We should be people, too, that are not immoral in the area of our sexuality. Let's keep it in our marriages. Amen? We should be people that are teaching the next generation, too, that, hey, the marriage bed is not to be defiled. It's to be honored among God's people. And wait till you get married, please. We should be passing it on to the next generation because I'm seeing, even in Christian homes today, compromise in these areas. And where does it start? It starts with us as parents. Let's model this to the next generation. And I want you to see something else here. There is a hardness of heart in this culture that when all this judgment's coming, instead of repenting, they just continued in these immoralities. That's a mess. The word repent, it means have a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. It's where your mind changes about things where you say, I'm done, I'm not gonna go that direction anymore. I'm, I'm changing my mind and it's gonna lead to a change in direction. Actually, the word pent uh, is, is to look up. And what it's saying is these people refused not only to change mind and change direction, they refused to repent, to re-look up to the God that could save them. You know, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is King David. One of the reasons why is because even in his failures, he always looked up. One of the reasons why I love King David, he's a man after God's own heart, and one of the reasons why he was is because he kept a soft heart. And that's what God wants for us. God doesn't want us to be perfect because he knows we can't. He knows we're just but dust. He's a father in heaven who knows us as kids, we're going to make mistakes. But God does want us to keep soft hearts. And one of the things that happens if you don't keep a soft heart is you'll just continue in your spiral of sin. But you know what King David did after he committed adultery and murder? He repented. And he wrote those great words of Psalm 51 when he said this in Psalm 51. Let's put it up on the screen. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit and then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Isn't that beautiful? Church, hell is coming to this earth. And let's be people in these last days that take the word of God seriously. And when we do fail and we do make mistakes, let's not go the direction of these people that are in this great tribulation. Let's go the direction of David. If we make mistakes, let's get back to God. Let's get back to repent, to re-look up to him, keep soft hearts, and know that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, will forgive our sins, and then he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And listen to this quote I read this week about this. It says, the real test, Vance Havner is the author, he says, the real test of how much we believe prophetic truth is what we're doing to warn people to flee from the wrath to come, to believe the solemn truths of prophecy and then make our way complacently through a world of sin and shame is not merely unfortunate, it's criminal. You know what he's saying there? Not only do we need to keep soft hearts, not only do we need to repent when we fall into things because of demonic forces in our lives, but also we gotta take our job seriously. We got a job to do. What's our job? Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Jesus said, Matthew 28, go, church, go and make disciples of all the nations, you know, uh, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to all, 
to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So let's get her done. Hell is coming to this earth. And we want to lead as many people to Christ as possible so we could go with them in the rapture and get them out of here. I was reading a book several years ago. It's by a guy that was building a great church out west. And his church had already become a multi-thousand member church. And he had a staff of, you know, dozens of people. And the way they started their work week as a church was he would have the secretary print a, a personal memo to all, you know, the, the dozens of staff people. And when they would get into work for the, to begin their work week, this memo would be on their desk. And the memo read something like this. It said, let's make it hard for people in the city of so-and-so to go to hell this week. Let's make it hard. Because of all the work we're doing for the kingdom of God and the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, let's make it hard in this city to go to hell. And that's my heart. My heart is let's, let's, let's be out in the highways and hedges with the gospel of Jesus Christ to the point that it's hard in Lexington, South Carolina, in Leesville, Batesburg, South Carolina, in Gilbert, South Carolina, hey, the whole city of Columbia, let's make it hard for people in this area to go to hell because we're leading so many people to Jesus and we're getting the job done because hell is coming here to earth. Amen? Amen. amen. Yeah. Let's get her done. I heard an amen over there. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you, God, that we could see the truth and the reality of what's coming to this world, Lord. But thank you, God, too that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are protected by you, God, and your power and your spirit and even your angels protect us on a daily basis, Lord. Help us to remember that when we fight, fight these battles, and we will, when we have demonic forces against us, help us to remember that greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Help us to remember that we could be more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. Help us to remember, God, that there's victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the Son sets us free, we are free indeed. But Lord, help us also remember that we have a real enemy. And the enemy is Satan himself. Help us to be like Paul that says we are not unaware of Satan's schemes. And help us to be people that are using those spiritual weapons you've given us of truth, of the assurance of our salvation, of the sword of the Spirit and the breastplate of righteousness, and the belt of truth, and the gospel boots of going forward with your gospel into darkness, God. Help us to be people that are employing prayer too. People of prayer, because prayer changes things. And Lord, I pray too that you'd help us to be people that are quick to repent. When we make mistakes, when we sin, when we give in to these dark forces, Lord, help us to keep short accounts. When we confess our sin, Father, and you will be faithful and just, and you will forgive us, and you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you're here this morning and you need to get some things straight with God, you need to soften your heart and say, God, I'm sorry for this area of my life. Forgive me, Father. Do that right now. Just go to that throne of grace realizing that God is rich in mercy. He's rich in grace, and he loves you, and he wants you to win, not lose. And so I pray for anybody here this morning that needs to bring things to your throne of grace this morning, God. And I pray that they bring those sins or things they've been giving into, they bring them to your throne. And they repent. 
they'd have a change of mind that leads to a change in direction in these areas, God. Thank you, God, that you love people when they come back to you, to your throne of grace. Prodigals, when they come back to you, you, you embrace with open arms. And I pray that we'd be doing that this morning, Lord. Any area in our life we need to bring to your throne of grace, Lord. We put it there right now. We say we're sorry. We ask your forgiveness. We repent. We're going to have a change of mind that's going to lead to a change of direction in this area in our life, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your joy. Thank you for Christmas that's coming up, God. Thank you, Lord, that we get to celebrate in the next, this coming Sunday and the next Wednesday the birth of your son, Jesus, and the gift to this world of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that this is, this is a season, and the reason for this season is one thing, and that's Jesus Christ and him alone. And Father, help us to celebrate that well in the next week or two of services. Father, may it be all for the glory of Jesus. In his name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, church. Let's all stand.